Welcome to Revealed Truth, the audio outreach ministry of Moores Creek Baptist Church. I am Pastor Roger Barnes, and I invite you now to join me as we open the Bible, God's Revealed Truth. Bibles this morning and turn with me to the book of Acts. Book of Acts, where we've been for a couple of weeks looking at the unfinished work of Jesus. Let's look at another part of that this morning. So the book of Acts, chapter 1, starting in verse 1. If you have found that in your Bibles, if you would be so kind as to stand with me for the reading of God's Word this morning. Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 1, and it reads like this. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but... You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, when he had spoken these things, which while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you have saw him go into heaven. Father, this morning we have been blessed. Blessed by the opportunity to pray for a fellow church that is hurting, for a fellow pastor, for a family. This morning we've been blessed by the singing, Father. We've been blessed by our time of fellowship together. And now this morning we ask that we be a blessing to you as we worship you through your word. This morning, Father, you speak to our hearts by making very little of me and very much of you that you may be seen in all of your glory. This today we pray in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We've been looking at the unfinished work of Jesus. We started a few weeks ago seeing the demonstrated message, if you remember, in verse number one, when it said he began to both do and to teach. He was not only giving the message of the gospel, but he lived out the message of the gospel. He did this to prepare them for his leaving, that they would be able to carry out the work that had began on the cross. For you see, the work of redemption had been completed on the cross, but the work of spreading that message of redemption to the ends of the earth had not been completed. So we saw that demonstrated message. We moved from there to the divine message last week, which we saw in verse uh, number three, when it says to whom he also presented himself alive. We came to understand that Jesus' death had caused doubt to kind of set in, as you could imagine. Uh, they had been with him for three years and now he was gone. Uh, uh, he had he had remanifested, he had manifested himself to them to give them confidence in the message that he had been demonstrating and teaching uh, to them. And he appeared in this resurrection body to, to do that, to do that. Seeing him alive, you know, seeing him alive and remembering what he had said to them, it, it instilled a certain level of confidence, a certain level of confidence in them. 
at his appearing. It said he stayed with them some 40 days and he spoke about the kingdom of, of God to them. And, and confidence was also instilled in them when they realized that the message that he, that he was instilling in them and teaching to them upon his uh, return from the dead was the exact same message that he had been living out in them. So, so this Jesus and his resurrection body was again speaking of this kingdom of heaven. And, and so this consistent message that was given to them as he manifested himself alive in their presence instilled in them a certain level of confidence to go out and do those things that he was about to send them out to do. And they would need confidence. <laughs> they would need confidence in the days ahead to carry out his work. So we saw that demonstrated message of divine manifestation. Let's today look then at the delivered might. Look at the de- delivered might. They may have had confidence. They may have had confidence in the message of Jesus Christ. They may have had confidence in the fact that, that he had manifested himself to them after the resurrection. But there's one thing that I am sure they did not have confidence in, and that was themselves. You ever been there? <laughs> they didn't have confidence in themselves. Remember who this group was. I made a short list of some of the things. In the past, there had been a little bit of issues with their abilities, if you remember. There had been a few issues with their abilities, especially in the last days of Jesus on earth with the things that he had taught to them. When Jesus taught there was a kingdom coming, you remember they had a little bit of problem with that. Back over in Matthew, you believe it is Matthew chapter 20, if memory serves me correctly. Yes, Matthew chapter 20. In Matthew chapter uh, 20, Jesus had been telling them a little bit about this uh, this uh, new kingdom, about things going on. And you see, starting in the 20th verse of Matthew 20, that a lady, it says, the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, what do you wish? She said, grant that these two sons of mine may sit on your right uh, hand and on your left hand in your kingdom. So we see their, their understanding of this kingdom we've been teaching. It moves on to say, but Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. <laughs> Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said to him, huh. We're able. Boy, they didn't know what they were signing up for, did they? (laughs) He goes on then to say, so he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and my left hand, that's not mine to give. But it is for those for whom it is prepared by the Father. Okay, so you say that was two of them, but look what happens now in verse 24. And when the ten heard it, the rest of the disciples, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. They had been walking with Jesus for some time, and Jesus had been teaching the, the things of the kingdom and the, and the kingdom ways and this doing and teaching, and they had seen Jesus numerous times be the servant, be the servant to those around them. Yet here, when he spoke of the kingdom, their thoughts immediately jumped to who's going to be first? And he had to remind them. So we see their, their failure as he talked about the kingdom. Also, you know, he... Jesus had an inner circle out of that 12. He had an inner circle out of the 12 that he quite often went away with. Over in uh, Luke uh, 22, over in Luke 22, we see a picture of him with this inner circle. Because you may say, you know, not all of them were that way. To be sure, those guys that spent the most time with Jesus really caught on and did the things. Well, in Luke chapter 22, down in verse uh, 39, it says this. 
Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed, and uh, his disciples also followed him. So all of them were with him. Then it says, when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. So he sets them all down and says, pray. It says, and he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down to pray. Well, we know by looking at the other gospels that he had left the ten or but left about nine of those guys hanging out outside, and he took an inner circle with him further into the garden and left them, and then he went on into pray. And that's where we pick up the story. It says he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw and he knelt down and prayed. He's saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven and strengthened him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down on the ground. Now, what is it that he had told those to do while he was praying? To sit and pray. Let's look at what they wound up doing. Verse 45. When he rose up from prayer and had come to his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. He gave them one job. To sit and to pray that they may not fall into temptation. It says, then he said to them, why do you sleep? Rise and pray, pray lest you enter into temptation. So we'd seen their failure as he talked to them about the kingdom and they wanted to be first. We'd seen their failure in the simplest of things that they did. A matter of fact, three times it tells us in the other gospels he came and said, wake up. I need you to be awake and praying. We also see it in the end of Matthew when it comes to the end of Jesus' life back in Matthew 26. Matthew 26 we know Jesus in this part of Matthew has now been commandeered from that garden that we just saw him praying in. He's been drug off for these kangaroo courts and doing these things. He's headed this way. And, and we see in the 26th chapter of Matthew, down about verse uh, 55, we see in that hour Jesus said to the multitude, this is the hour at the end of him being in the garden. They've come to arrest him. Judas has kissed him so that they would know who it was. And it says, has you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? Said so I said daily, teaching in your temple and you did not seize me. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. So you see the picture. They're coming to drag Jesus off. They grab him and they drag him off. Look at the end of that verse. It says, then all the disciples forsook him and fled. The ones who had spent three years, seen him raise people from the dead, seen him heal the broken, seen him feed 5,000 with a few fish and loaves of bread. When Jesus needed them most, it says they took off and ran. It says they took off and ran. Matter of fact, you know, Peter was always the outstanding one. He was the loudmouth of the group. He was the one that always uh, stepped forward. We see him in, in verse 58 of that same chapter. It said Peter followed at a distance said he followed at a distance. You know the story. It goes on to tell us in 69 through 75, the very end, that, that he, he wound up being with a disciple that was known by those at the court. And so he got into the inner courtyard, and as he stood around the fire, he was recognized. He was recognized. Remember, they asked him questions. Aren't you? Aren't you? The girl says, this, this fellow is with the, the Jesus of Nazareth. And, and he says, I don't know that man. I don't know that man. Goes on to say, surely you're one of them. Your speech betrays you. And it says he even curses and swears that he doesn't know this Jesus. Now, this is the group that, that Jesus is sitting before now. This is the group. Remember, it even gets worse over in, in Mark. This is the thing I find really astounding at the end of Mark. Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. We see the same group. This is after Jesus has died. 
This is after Jesus has been put in the tomb. They've been hunkered down in a room somewhere, hiding. And at the very end of uh, chapter 16 of Mark, in verse number 9, it says this, And when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. So you see the picture. She's run up to the tomb, and Jesus makes this appearance to her. So it says in verse 10, So uh, she went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. So who were the ones that had been with him? The twelve, the, the disciples. In verse 11 it says, When they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. <laughs> this is the group. This is the group that... Jesus had demonstrated the message to. Now you see the reason that there had needed to be a divine manifestation in their presence because they didn't believe. But now you also understand why there needs to be a delivered might in their life. Now Jesus is telling them again, he's about to leave. Jesus is now telling them in the book of Acts, hey, I'm about to leave and you're going to be all alone. They had demonstrated their inability to do the things that Jesus had taught. I just read you a few examples. The Gospels are full of them. The Gospels are full of them. They had shown that they were not willing to stand up when the times got tough with Jesus. They had turned their back on him, matter of fact, after he had died and gone back to fishing, if you remember. After he disappeared, they said, let's go to what we know. And they went back to the boats uh, and now they were going to be the ones now they were going to be the ones who would build on the foundation Jesus had put in place for the church now that's a scary thought isn't it that's a scary thought they were going to be the future of Christianity from that point on they were going to be the ones who demonstrated Jesus to the world yet as soon as he left as soon as he was put in the tomb they fell apart. And it's obvious that they lack the power to do it. It's obvious that they lack. They, and you know what? They're no different than us. They are absolutely no different than us. I'll tell you this. Given enough heat, we'll turn our back on the truth to avoid persecution. Given enough pressure, we'll keep our mouth shut about the gospel. Given enough threats, we'll deny Jesus. But aren't you glad that God has a plan? Aren't you glad that God has a plan? God knew that they could not do it in their own power. God knew that they lacked the confidence to succeed. God knew that they would need help to finish the work that Jesus had began. And God knows that we need the exact same thing. See, anything that we can accomplish in our own power is not of God. Anything that we can think that we're good enough to do, it's not God's plan. Anything that we have the strength to do on our own is not God's work. God's plan is God-sized, and it requires God's might. Could you imagine the twelve, hunkered down, scared to death, are now told, you are the future of the spread of the gospel. Were they able? No. <laughs> no. And here's where we see Jesus delivering the might of the gospel, the might of the gospel of God to these disciples and by extension, Jesus has delivered that might to every believer since that time. How has he delivered the might? First, the first way he delivers the might is through godly patience. Look at Acts uh, 1, chapter of 1, verse 4. He says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. That seems to be an interesting statement, doesn't it? 
He's just reminded them of the message that he had. He's just appeared from, from death. He's come back to life. And he says, okay, now that you believe, now that you got a little bit of confidence, wait. <laughs> wait. After Jesus had gotten their attention by appearing to them from the dead, he gathered them together. I'm sure the disciples were excited. I'm sure they were excited that, that all they'd come to, to know about Jesus and know about God was true. I'm sure they remembered Jesus saying that he would rise from the dead. And, and they were excited that they knew that those things that they had heard were true. And they knew this by Jesus' consistent message to them and by his glorious appearing to them alive. And in all their excitement, I'm sure they were ready to go out and conquer the world. You ever been that way when you learn something new? Especially at work, you learn something new and you're just ready to go out and tackle the job. You're ready to go get it done. But Jesus knew one thing. They could not do it on their own. They'd been in hiding in Jerusalem for fear of, of being killed. And they were not sure what the next step was going to be. And when Jesus appeared, they, they figured they had this thing going on. This, this was happening now. It was game on. He's back from the dead. He can go with us. We'll pick up right where we left off. Surely everyone will want to know about this Jesus, this Savior that rose from the dead. Surely everybody would want to know. But see, Jesus knew what laid ahead. Jesus knew what laid ahead. They'd forgotten that Jesus had told them that they would drink of the same cup. If you remember the verse we just read from Matthew 20, 23. He said, you're going to drink of the same cup. <laughs> you're going to be baptized in the same manner. They'd forgotten that he had said there was a future that may look bleak ahead of you. <laughs> They'd forgotten that Jesus had told them that when they had followed him over to Nazareth, when they'd followed him over to Nazareth and he'd been sitting in the temple back in Mark chapter 6, and they'd heard him teach in that synagogue. When he'd been in that synagogue teaching, he said something very interesting about his ministry and about the people that heard him teaching in Mark chapter 6, verse 4. He said this, But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. You know what they forgot? They forgot that to preach the message of Jesus Christ would put you at odds with some of the things and people that you loved dearly. They'd forgotten that message. They'd forgotten the conversation they'd had with Jesus on that road to Samaria over in Luke, Luke chapter 9. If you remember, they were walking down this road. It seems that this, this whole conversation has just left their memory. When he talks to them about true discipleship in Luke chapter 9 at the end, he says this in verse 57, Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to them, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. So someone walks up to Jesus says, it doesn't matter where you're going, I'm going to follow you. And he lays out for them what it meant and what it cost to follow. In verse 58 he says, And Jesus said to them, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man, speaking of himself, has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, Hey, you, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. To another also said, Another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to them, No one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. See, they'd forgotten the conversation. They'd forgotten the conversation that to follow Jesus means that you will give up. You will give up those things that are important in your life. Because the only thing that will be important in your life is Jesus and the spread of the gospel, the good news of him to the world. They'd forgotten these messages. You know, the same thing lays ahead for us. 
It's no different. The message hasn't changed, and the response to the message hasn't changed. You see, it seems every day it's becoming more and more of a reality in the world that we live in right now. We hear about those Christians all over the world being locked up in prisons and, and kept in prisons. And we say, that's at a distance. That's away from us. Read your local news. Read your local news. There's persecutions happening in your own backyard. Are they being put in prison? Maybe not. But are they put in, in mental prison, so to speak, in social prison? Absolutely. They're being outcasts. You see, to speak the truth of God's word puts you in opposition to many, to many. To stand on what Jesus taught sometimes can make people say, you're the bad guy. To say that Jesus is the only way to have a right relationship with God and to have eternal life in a place called heaven will put you at odds and bring ridicule to your life. But Jesus... But Jesus said, I'm not going to change the message. I'm not going to change the message. The same message I preached before I died is the same message I preach now, regardless of the ridicule, regardless of the opposition, regardless of those who may say that I'm narrow-minded. The message doesn't change. It doesn't matter what the world says about the message. The message is the truth. No, Jesus was going to give them what they needed to proclaim the message with boldness and clarity in face of the opposition that they were going to have in their life. You see, the truth never changes. And even though the truth may be difficult to deliver in God's timing, with God's power, we each have the ability to deliver that message. You sung the song earlier. I love to tell the story. What is the story? What is the story? Is it the story of Jesus Christ saving you? Saving you from the sins in your life? Pulling you from the pits of hell and placing you in the future in a place called heaven in His presence? And in between those two things, growing you to be more like Christ and utilizing your life to share the gospel message with others? Is that your story? And it should be. You see, God has a plan. And He tells them to be patient because He has a schedule. We must be going about God's plan and doing it in God's time. I love the verse in Ecclesiastes 3.1, I believe it is. It says, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. See, for everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under the heaven. We are, the, are in a season. We, as a church, we personally are in a season in the economy of God. And the purpose He has for us, He has set a time for He has set a timetable for. We, like the disciples, need to be patient and ready for the change in the seasons of our life. The change in the seasons of our life. We need to be looking for the power of God in the time of God that He has already preordained for us. See, Jesus was fulfilling what He had told them would happen after His death. That He would return to the one who had sent Him. And that as He returned to the one that would send Him, that had sent him, that in his absence, a helper would come to them. Remember, he had told them that. And he said that helper was the spirit of truth. I love how he calls him the spirit of truth. And it says that spirit of truth will testify of Jesus and empower the disciples to testify of Jesus. Matter of fact, in John 15, Probably have no hope of finishing this message anyway. Let's look at the scriptures. John 15, 26, it says, But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. So he says when that Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit that speaks truth, he's going to testify of Jesus. But then look what it says in verse 27. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. 
See, when this Holy Spirit comes, He's going to bear witness of Jesus, and guess what you're going to do? Because the Holy Spirit lives in you. You are going to bear witness. But they had to be patient for Jesus to return to the Father and to send the Spirit of truth. So not only did Mike come through godly patience, second it came through a godly promise, a godly promise. Back in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, it says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Jesus said they are to wait for this promise of the Father. And what is the promise? What is the promise of the Father? Well, back in John 14, back in John 14, he gives us a glimpse of that in John 14, 16, and 18 when he says, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he might abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth. We've just heard that in another verse, didn't he? Whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you. So we see it in John 14, uh, 16, and 17, and 18 there. We also see it in the 25th verse of that same chapter. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all things that I have said to you. And he goes on to talk about the Holy Spirit there. But you know, he also mentioned this promise of the Holy Spirit all the way back in the Old Testament. Do you realize it wasn't anything new that Jesus was bringing up? There wasn't anything new that Jesus was bringing up. A matter of fact, back in Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 36, in verse 37, he says this, Thus says the Lord, I will also let the house of Israel acquire of me to do this for them. I will increase their men and of their flock. And then he goes on as he talks about this increase, as he talks about this change in their life, as he talks about this thing, he goes on to say to them, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and will do them. He goes on as he's talking through this house of Israel. He says, I am going to put within you my spirit. This promise was made. This promise was made. The might we have to do a will of God is supplied by God to all believers, by his son, through his Holy Spirit living within us. The Trinity is involved. And all who have come, all who have come to put their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior have received this indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You all. You all who have trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior have within you this promise of the Holy Spirit. No believer gets more or less. There's nowhere in the Bible that says there needs to be a second refilling of the Holy Spirit. See, the question is not, do you have the Holy Spirit? The question is, does the Holy Spirit have all of you? You see, the Holy Spirit can be there and you not yield And therefore, his power doesn't show up. Part of the reason for the patience to wait for the promise to come was for the disciples to be prepared to both receive the Holy Spirit and to fully yield. See, God has given us the promise that the Holy Spirit would come to us. We need to keep our end of the deal and fully yield our lives to his presence. To yield his life, our lives to his presence. See, God has promised, as recorded in Hebrews 13, 5, that he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. God has promised us that he will be with us. And who believes if God is for you that no one can be against you, as Paul wrote in Romans. As Paul wrote in Romans. And who believes that God is able to do above and beyond all? 
all that you can think and do. I love that verse we looked at back in Ephesians 3, about three years ago. It says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. Paul reminds us that God is not only able to do more, but to do exceedingly, abundantly more than we even have the ability to ask for or to even think about. And, and how? How did Paul say that God was going to do this? By the promise of the Holy Spirit, that power that he has placed within us. And how many of you know, know that God keeps his promises? Since we're late on time, I'm going to fire a few verses at you. Write them down. You'll have time to go look at them. You know, the Bible tells us that God is faithful. Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Aren't you glad you have a faithful God who gives you hope? Hope that no matter the circumstances, he is God and you are his. No matter the persecution, he's your protection. No matter the pain, that he's your comfort. No matter the sorrow that you walk through, that he's your joy. No matter the loneliness that you have, he's a friend that is closer than a brother. Hope that no matter what makes others say, you know he loves you. And that he saved you. Aren't you glad that you have a faithful God? As sure as the promise of eternal life of Jesus Christ is yours, so is the promise that he has sent the only Holy Spirit to indwell you. To indwell you. Not only did Mike come through godly patience and, and in a godly promise, but third and very quickly, it came through, it brings this godly power to your life. Acts again, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Jesus told them to wait, and when the Holy Spirit came, that they would receive this power. The word there translated power is actually the word dunamis. Dunamis. If you actually look it up in the Greek, it's, it, it means force, but it specifically is related to the miraculous power and ability or might. It's, it's translated other ways in the text also to other English words, uh, but it, it's really this, this power, this supernatural power in your life. Matter of fact, this is the word that is the root word for dynamite in our language today. That's the kind of power that we're talking about. If there is one thing, if there is one thing the disciples had demonstrated during the latter days of Christ's life is that they were powerless. Did you notice that about them? Every time something came up, uh, when difficulty came, they ran. When storms showed up, they were scared to death. When the accusers confronted them, they lied about who they were. And if there is one thing that's missing from Christ's church today, it's power. It's power. The days of revival sweeping all over the nation because a man or a church has taken a hold of God's vision that all nations be saved has disappeared. The fire, the fire for lost souls that used to drive the church together together and stay on their knees all night long praying for their communities has gone out. The time of the church is coming together for the sake of the glory of God and using their collective talents to impact the communities that we sit in. It's all but ceased. And I believe the reason for this is that God's people are no longer depending on God's power in their personal lives or in the lives of the church. We have a tendency to only try that which we could do because we're scared to fail. I don't know about you, but I serve a God that never fails. I may fail in doing some of the things that God has asked me to do, but he always works a way through those things to glorify himself anyway. I serve a God who never fails. 
Jesus said that in his absence, he would send one that would help us. And the helper he would send would give us power. How then does the Holy Spirit give us power? Very quickly. Number one, by upholding us. Like David wrote, like David wrote after being confronted with a sin with Bathsheba. You remember he was confronted. And, and it was, he said, who is the man? And he pointed his finger in his face and said, it is you. It is you. He went on to write Psalm 51. Psalm 51. And in Psalm 51, verse 12, he says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Aren't you glad to know that the Holy Spirit within you upholds you? He also strengthens you. As Paul wrote to the Ephesians in that, that third chapter of Ephesians, in verse 14 and 60, or through 60, he says, For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man. Aren't you glad that that indwelling Holy Spirit in you gives you the strength to do those things that he's called you to do? But aren't you also glad that an indwelling Holy Spirit gives you Boldness, as Paul wrote to Timothy, as he was writing to him to encourage him as a, a new pastor to church. In 2 Timothy 1, 7 and 8, he says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad you can be bold with the message of the gospel because it's empowered with the power of God through the Holy Spirit? I'm also so glad, I'm also so glad that this Holy Spirit that indwells us guides our communication, our prayer time with our Father. Have you ever gone to your knees? Not had any idea what to say. Not had any idea. Your heart was burdened and words just wouldn't come. I'm so glad that Paul wrote to the Romans in Romans 8.26. It says, likewise, the Spirit helps in our weakness. I've never felt more weak than when I was on my knees, brokenhearted, and didn't even know what to ask for. And he says, I'm so glad the Spirit helps in our weakness, for we do not know what we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Aren't you glad that Holy Spirit power within you helps you communicate with a Father who loved you so much he gave his only begotten Son to die on the cross for your sins? See, not only does he help in prayer, but he also gives us hope. Boy, we need hope in this world today, don't we? We look down the road, I have no idea what's in store for my children, much less my grandchild. I look and just see that there is no hope in this world. But I'm so glad that the Holy Spirit within us gives us hope. In that same book of Romans 15, 13, it says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Folks, when life seems hopeless, lean on the Holy Spirit. There is hope in the power of God that lives within you. And I'm also glad that that Holy Spirit that lives within us, that God sent in His absence to us to be our helper, empowers the gospel message. Do you realize it was the Holy Spirit that empowered the gospel message? In 1 Peter 3.18 it says, For Christ also suffered once for sins. That means He crawled on a cross one time to die for all sins. Job done. It says, The just Crawl on the cross for the unjust. It's written there in 1 Peter 3.18. He says that he might bring us to God. He closed that gap that was created by sin in our lives. He says that he might bring us to God. It says being put to death in the flesh. Christ was put to death in the flesh. But he was made alive 
by the Spirit. Alive by the Spirit. The Spirit that lives in you raised Jesus from the dead. What an awesome thought. The gospel switch was turned on when the Holy Spirit raised him from the dead. He empowers the gospel. I'm also glad that he goes before us as we share the gospel before us. He steps before us. John 16, 7, 11 says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, Jesus said. For if I do not go away, that helper, he's not going to come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me, Jesus said. Of righteousness because I go to the Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the ruler of the world is judged. Are you scared to share the gospel message with your neighbor? Let me give you hope. Don't worry. The Holy Spirit has gone ahead. It is He who convicts of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. It is He who empowers the gospel message. It is He who gives you hope. It is He who guides your prayer. It is He who gives you boldness. It is He who strengthens you. It is He who holds you up as you go forth to do that which God has called you to do and commanded you to do, which is share the gospel message with your neighbors, with your family, with your friends. So how can we have this Holy Spirit power in our life? Starts number one. You must know the one who sent him. Jesus Christ must not only be your Savior, he must be your Lord. Maybe this morning you could say, I've been to church all of my life. I grew up in a Christian home. I read the Bible daily. I know all these things about Jesus. But let me tell you this. If you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, if you've never fallen on your knees before Him and said, I am a sinner and I am going to hell except for believing in Jesus Christ. If you've never gone and said, I need a Savior, my church membership, my family membership, my reading won't do it. I must trust in one thing and that is the Jesus who died once for all sins. If you've never, if you've never said, Jesus I teach you to save me, then guess what? You are not saved. Your name can be on every roll in Pender County churches, and hell is your destination. You must first and foremost trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. The Bible says there is no way, there is no way to a right relationship with God except through Jesus Christ. It also says there is no remission of sins without the spilling of blood, and the only blood that counts is the blood of Jesus Christ. It must have washed away your sins. This morning you can come and I'll explain to you what it means to be saved and how that works. But also listen to me. You can be saved. You can know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and your light can be so dim that nobody in the world knows it. And here's why. Because he doesn't say he just wants to be your Savior. He wants to be your Lord. Your Lord means that you pick up the cross that he has given you and you walk with it every day. He'll be your Lord means that you don't put your hand to the plow to do the job and say, wait a minute, I need to go home and do something first. Making Him Lord of your life means He is the center of all that happens in your life. If He is not the center, then the Holy Spirit does not have full control of your life. If He does not have full control of your life, your light ain't shining. 
your battery's running backwards. You see, this morning, you not only need to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you need to say, I'm not just counting on you for my ticket home. (laughs) I love you so much for what you did. I want you to control every breath I take, every sound I make, every motion that I do, every thought that I have. And that Holy Spirit that is within you will do just that. He will empower you. If you remember, speaking of the Holy Spirit, there's a place in Ephesians at the end as we got to it, in Ephesians chapter 6, you can go home and read it, that talks about this battle with the world that we live in. It talks about it being a spiritual battle with spiritual forces that are over the souls of men and women in this world. And it warns us as Christians that to get into the battle, we must do something. It says that we must put on things like girding ourselves around the waist with truth by putting on the breastplate of righteousness, by shining our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, by taking up the shield of faith to quench the fiery darts, by putting on the helmet of salvation, and by grabbing a hold of the sword of the Spirit, which he goes on to say is the Word of God. To be strong in the Lord, we must be in the power of His might. We must put on the armor of God and we must pick up the Word of God and use it. And it alone is the truth of our life. For there's a battle. There's a battle that is raging. You, my friend, as a Christian, are in the middle of it. Let us endeavor as Christians to know the delivered might because of it coming through godly patience and a godly promise of godly power in our life. We can experience in the delivered might of this Holy Spirit in our life. Thank you for joining us here at Revealed Truth. I would like to personally invite you to visit with us at Morris Creek Baptist Church. We're located at 3107 Union Chapel Road in Curry, North Carolina. Our Sunday school starts at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings and is followed at 11 o'clock with our Sunday morning worship service. We also have a time of prayer and Bible study on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. We look forward to seeing you soon.